First John chapter 3, beginning at verse 16. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. I think the world is mixed up about a lot of things today. But surely one of the things that our world is most mixed up about is it's mixed up about what love is. You know, how we define what love is is very important. Throughout this book, John has been speaking to us about three tests by which we can know that we're really walking with the Lord and right with God. There's the moral test, taking a look at our lives. There's the doctrinal test to see what we believe. But then there's a third test, the the test of love. And you know, how we define what love is, is going to affect how we pass that test or or how important it is to us. You know, we think about all the songs, you know, love is a many-splendored thing. Everybody loves somebody sometime. You know, all the different ones you can say, and is that what love is all about, what people sing about, and what Hollywood tells us it's about? You know, I think that in the days of the Bible and in the language that they had back then, they had a lot better understanding of what love was because they just didn't use one generic word, love, to cover everything. Matter of fact, in the days of the Bible and in the language that the New Testament was originally written in, they had four different specific words for love. We pretty much just have one. You know, we say in the same words, I love my wife and I love a double-double at In-N-Out. Now, I hope we don't mean it the same way. But, you know, I mean, we use the same word. But, but in the language that the Bible was written with, they had four different words. One of the words for love, the first one we might consider this morning, was the word eros. And, and that kind of love, as you might guess from the word itself, it referred to sexual love, to erotic love. The second word was the word storge. And storge also refers to love, but, but it's a love that refers to a kind of a family love, a family kind of affection, the kind of love there is between parent and child or family members in general. The third word for love used back in ancient times was the word philea. And philea is this third word. It speaks of a brotherly friendship and affection. It's the love of deep friendship, of deep partnership. It might be described as the highest love of which man is capable of without God's help. But then there's a fourth kind of love, and it's the kind of love that John mentions here in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. The fourth word for love is the word agape. And agape love is the kind of love that loves without changing. It's a self-giving love that gives without demanding or without expecting repayment. It's a love so great that it can be given to the unloving and the unappealing. It's a love that loves even when it's rejected. Agape love gives and it loves because it wants to love. Not because it demands or expects repayment from the love that's given. It gives because it loves and it does not love in order to receive. Now this makes it different from all the other kind of loves. You think of eros love, erotic love or sexual love. Well look, that's, you know, I'll only love you if you love me back. That's it. 
You think of family affection and think of all the families that are spit up in the, and, and that family affection that's broken because between the parent and child, listen, it's a two-way street. Listen, son or daughter, you know, you, you disobey me. You, you don't love me. You push me far enough and you're out of this home. You think of a phileo love, that friendship love. And well, sure, we have a lot of great friends, but we're friends with people who are friendly towards us. All those loves are a two-way street. I'll love you if you love me. But agape love is different. Agape love says, I'm going to love you. Well, what if I don't love you back? I'm still going to love you. Well, what if I hurt you or reject you? I'm still going to love you. That's the kind of love that God has for us, and that's the kind of love He wants us to have towards one another. And many people confuse these four loves and end up extremely hurt as a result. Remember those words? Maybe the first time you ever said them to somebody else in a romantic way when you told somebody, I love you. Now, you might have been meaning one kind of love, and they might have been thinking of another kind of love Altogether. How often has it happened that a man tells a woman, I love you, and he has in his mind one kind of love. But in her heart, out of her wishful thinking, she's hearing a different kind of love. When really all he has is a selfish love towards her. Oh, sure, there's strong feelings in the heart, but my friends, strong feelings in the heart don't translate into agape love. They're feelings that might just want something from that other person. I love you because I want something from you. It's not because I love you, because I want to give something to you. Friends, real love, agape love, is not found in what it wants from the other person. Real love, agape love, is found in what it wants to give the other person. And so when John tells us right here in 1 John 3.16, by this we know love, he's talking about agape love, this great love that's ultimately bound up in the heart of God. And how do we know love? Because he laid down his life for us. Now friends, please notice that real love isn't just felt as an inward feeling. It's shown by demonstration. And the ultimate demonstration of love was the giving of Jesus Christ on the cross. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. You know, the Apostle Paul says almost the exact same thing in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. He writes, But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the demonstration of love. Now, please understand what I'm trying to say here. It isn't the death of Jesus in itself that is the ultimate demonstration of love. It's the death of Jesus together with what it does for us that is that ultimate demonstration of love. It shows us the epitome of love. Let's just say that we're at the beach and we're out on a pier and I'm out on the pier and, and, and uh, a man jumps into the water and he's in the water, and the waves are crashing, and he's drowning. And with his dying breath, he cries out, I'm giving my life for you. And you're up there on the pier saying, what's that? In what sense does his love, does his death, I should say, show any love to me? He's just dying. He could say all day long, I'm giving my life for you, but he's just drowning, and his death doesn't do anything for me. But if that same man jumps into the water and saves me from drowning 
and dies as a result, then he gave his own life that I could survive. Then I can understand how the giving of his life was a great act of love. Friends, it doesn't just mean that, well, we know love because Jesus died. It's because he died and what his death accomplishes for us, it saves us. Friends, there's a real sense in which we would not know what love was all about unless it were for the work of Jesus on the cross. Don't we have just the innate knack as human beings for finding a way to pervert or twist what love is all about? And we can pursue all kinds of things under the guise of looking for love. A lot of people look for the love of God or want to find out the true nature of God by looking out in creation. They say, you know what, I'll just go out and I'll just look at the beauty of God's creation and I'll find out all of what God is about. And I'm here to tell you this morning that you can find out a lot about God by looking at creation. You take a look and go up into the Sierra Nevadas and see mighty mountain peaks and you say, my God is a big God to have created that. And then you take a look at the smallest spider web and you look how intricate it is and how, you know, in 10 years, if you worked as hard as you could, you couldn't build something that precise and that intricate and works that well, but God created a dumb spider to do it. And you take a look at the spider and say, God is smart. God is really smart to be able to do that. Then you go to the beach and you go on a perfect four to six foot peeling off glassy day. You say, God is really cool to create something that nice and that precious. You know, surf that's just that beautiful and that precious. But you could take a look at all of those things, and looking at creation will never show you one thing about God's character. Looking at creation will never show you that God is love. It won't. You can't see that God is love by looking at creation because creation is tinged by the fall. That's why there's hurricanes and tornadoes and and tragedies that happen because this world is, is a subject under futility because of the fall, the Bible tells us. No, but God awaited the ultimate demonstration of love, not by seeing it in creation, but by demonstrating it on the cross. You take a look at nature and you're impressed with God's majesty. You're impressed with God's power. You're impressed with God's intelligence. But you won't be impressed with God's love until you take a look at the cross. You know, there you are. You're you're watching the television special and it's showing you the cheetah. And there's the cheetah, a magnificent animal, running across the African plain. You go, God is so great. God is amazing to build such a creature. Look at it. It's running 60 miles an hour. There it is, boom, across the, the, the floor there. And it's just amazing. Look at it run. And then you see it pounce on an antelope and maul it and eat it to pieces. Oh, man, God, is that what you created the cheetah for? Well, in a way, Yes. You see, you don't know about the love of God by looking at creation, but if you look at the cross, you can see the ultimate demonstration of it. Friends, we need to look for love in the places where God has put it, and he put it at the cross. Now notice this in verse 16. He says, By this we know love because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now listen, if you like to mark in your Bible... You can highlight that, but don't scratch it out. Because that, that is in your Bible. You see, we're sent with the same mandate that Jesus was sent with. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so I send you. And as Jesus came to lay down his life for us, so we are to lay down our lives 
for the brethren. I want you to think of those words just for a minute. It says, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And where it says that he laid down his life for us. And you might think, well, that means if I don't love my, if I love my brother, that means I'm going to die for him. Well, and that's true in a big sense, but it's pretty rare for you and I to be called to, to die for somebody else, isn't it? I mean, it might happen on a rare occasion, and sometimes a more heroic act of, of honor like that is easier to do than something little. Now, I'll die for you, but I won't let you have that prime parking space that I want right over there, because, you know, let's face it, that's another thing entirely. But the, the, the literal wording there, when it says, lay down your life, it could be more literally translated to lay aside your life. How about that? And I say, I'll lay down my life for you, brother. Will you lay aside your life right now? He says we should do it. We should do it in this way of laying in our down lives, and it involves sacrifice. You know, you, you can stand before God right now today and say, I, I wish I was more loving. I bet every one of us, if we took a sir, I wish I was more loving, I wish I was more loving, we all wish we were more loving, but wishing to be more loving won't do because it won't sacrifice where it's needed. And friends, if we take the analogy from Jesus' love for us, sometimes the cost of loving our brother, sometimes the cost of loving our sister in Jesus Christ will make us feel like we are dying. Have you ever felt like you're dying because you're loving somebody else? Friends, that's real love. That's sacrificial love. Real love is measured not in how good it makes us feel, not in how happy we feel. Real love is measured by what we will sacrifice for another person. And oftentimes we tell ourselves we're willing to do it in one great big dramatic gesture, but will you do it little by little, piece by piece? You know, an illustration I often use is that, you know, if you think of your life to have some kind of dollar value, like say it's worth $1,000 and here's your life, it's a, it's $1,000 in your hand, and a lot of times you say, oh, I'll lay down my life for you, boom, there's $1,000, I'll give my whole life, I'll lay it down for you. But you know, that's usually not how God calls us to lay aside our life, is it? You know how he usually tells us to do You take that $1,000 and go to the bank and get it in nickels and lay it down nickel by nickel in small acts of sacrifice and service for other people. That's laying down your life. Friends, I think John is just telling us to do the same thing that we read about in Philippians chapter 2. Let me read this to you. He says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. You look out for your own interests, don't you? If you love in this way that it's being talked about here, you will look out for the interests of others as well. Now, if John hasn't been specific enough already, He's really going to lay it on us here in verse 17. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Well, that's just laying it on the line, isn't it? John's saying, hey, forget about all this talk about love. Let's not just talk about, well, I love you, I love you, I love you. What have you done to demonstrate your love? Real love is demonstrated in actions. Isn't this the place where so many of us get tripped up? 
We, we love and we want to love more, but we're waiting for a feeling to arise in our hearts before we'll love. We'll think, we think that love is all about feelings. And I want to love them, but I don't feel very loving towards them. Hey, that's okay. You don't have to feel loving. Do something to demonstrate your love towards them. I remember one time in my life, and I was having a very difficult time with another person. And it was a real trial because uh, I had to have a relationship with this person, but it was a very difficult situation, and and I wanted to love them, but I didn't want to love them. You know what I'm talking about? And, And honestly, in my heart, I just didn't feel a lot of love towards them. And so what I did was I decided, you know, listen, these people, you know, I I feel that they haven't treated me right. I felt like they they haven't done well to me. But yet, you know, I I need to love them. I need to do what the Bible says. Lord, tell me what to do. And so what I did was I just sought the Lord and I said, Lord, show me how to demonstrate love towards these people. And they lived a ways away and and yet we were still in sort of semi-regular contact. So you know what I started doing? I just started writing them letters. Start writing letters. Not about anything, just, just to show that I care, just to show that, that, that there could be a relationship there. And you know, God really started working on my heart in that. And I'm sure the Lord did something in their heart too. And the Lord did a work because I just said, well, beside the feelings, I'm just going to do what I can to demonstrate love. Friends, that's what the real love is. And that's why John says here in verse 17, if you have this world's goods and see your brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Oh, it's real easy for us to say we love God and, you know, I'll give anything for you, Lord. But then you see your brother in need. Well, not for him, though, God. I love you, not, not him, Lord. Now, th- this is a place that has bothered many people. Because when we talk about giving to other people and opening our hearts towards them and helping them out in a time of need, many of us have been taken advantage of in a situation like that, haven't we? We've been manipulated. And we've been used in a situation like that. And if I were just to quote you this verse and not take any other understanding of what love is all about, then you might say, okay, well, the loving thing is just to give somebody whatever they want. And, you know, if they want something and if I have it, I should just give it to them. And what's the limit? Well, I guess there is no limit. Jesus laid down his life. I guess, you know, I'll just give and give and give. And just, I guess that's what love is all about. Friends, no, there is a limit. There is a limit to how much you should give to somebody else. How much you should help them in their time of need. And do you know what that limit is? The limit is the limit that love itself imposes. In other words, sometimes giving something to somebody else is not helping them. It's not loving them. And so that's how you have to determine that. I will give to you as long as it will help you. But sometimes giving to you isn't helping you, is it? Sometimes giving to a person who's in need is confirming them in their irresponsibility. Sometimes it's allowing them to benefit from their own manipulative way of life. Sometimes it's positively opening a door for sin to them. But my friends, the limit we will impose is the limit that love itself imposes. And friends, let me say one other thing about love. When we're talking about this, many times uh, people feel guilty when they hear about this. And they say, you know what, David, you just don't understand there's this person in my life, and I rub shoulders with them a lot, and to tell you the truth, David, they're just plain annoying to me. 
And, and I love them, I care about them, but I just don't want to spend all this much time with them, and I don't want them to be my best buddy. And I feel terrible about that. My friends, John is not trying to tell us that everybody is going to be your best friend. And you shouldn't feel bad about that. But my friends, what it means is that you absolutely, positively have a scriptural command to treat that person with love. And you need to. You need to be loving towards them. And so, if you don't want to go out for a social evening with them, well, you're free not to go out with a social evening with them. But you're free to tell them that in love, not in a hurtful way, not in a way that would uh, abuse them or make them feel terrible. Again, this is what love is about. Now, when we have this kind of love in us, it brings a beautiful assurance in our Christian life. And that's what he talks about beginning at verse 19. Check this out. He says, And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. John is talking about an assurance that this love can bring in our lives. When we see this love at work in our lives, we can know that we are of the truth. And this brings assurance to our hearts before God that we're standing right before Him. Remember the three tests? The the moral test, the doctrine test, and the love test. And when you see this love in your heart towards other people in the body of Christ, you can say, Hey, wait a minute, praise God. I know that God is doing a work in me. I know that I belong to Him because I have this love in my life. You know, Gail Irwin tells a wonderful story about a man he knew when he was a boy. The man's name was Jake, and in the small town in which Gail lived and his father pastored, uh, Jake was the meanest, drunkest man in town. He'd come to church from time to time because his wife was a Christian. His wife went to that church. But you know what he would do? This was his practice when he would come to church. When Jake came to church, he'd come to beat up the elders. That took a special calling to be an elder in that church, I'll tell you that. Because <laughs> that's what he would do. He'd come and he'd just wail on the elders. So one Wednesday night, Jake came to church. And, uh, you know, you can imagine the elders scurrying for cover, <laughs> wondering when he's going to come up and just start wailing on one of them. But he didn't come that night to beat anybody up. Jake came, and that night he gave his life to Jesus Christ. He walked down the aisle of that little church, and he knelt down at the altar, and he said, I want Jesus. Now the next night at that church, they were having another meeting. And the pastor started out the meeting. He said, does anybody want to share what the Lord's doing in their lives? And Jake was there. And Jake stood up, and this is what he said. He said, I have something to say. Last night, when I came here, I hated you people. Everybody's nodding in agreement. Yes, Jake, we know that you hated us. But then he went on to say, but something happened to me, and I don't understand it, but tonight, I love you. Friends, that guy only had one tooth, Gail says, but he smiled real big, and it was the most beautiful tooth that you ever saw in your life. Because this man had an assurance in his life because he could see that where there was once hatred in his heart for other people, now there was love. Oh, friends, do you have that assurance in your life? Are you harboring in your heart bitterness and resentment and hatred towards other Christians? And friends, I want you to see that John isn't even saying that, you know, that the test, the measure, the assurance is if we love our enemies, if we love those who aren't part of the family of God. I mean, that, that's another issue entirely that we could talk about, but that's not what John's talking about. John's just saying, let's just love one another. 
Let's just love the brothers and the sisters that God has given us. I know what you might be thinking. You might be saying, David, I, I do have this love in my heart, but I don't have it perfectly. You know, maybe just this last week, you, you went off the handle against somebody else, and you just, oh, it was just terrible. You, just, you, you had an outburst of anger against somebody that you had no business having such an outburst against, and, and you're feeling guilty this minute. So maybe I don't love the Lord. Maybe I, I'm not saved. Look, look at what John says to this heart here in verse 20. He says, for if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Friends, you know, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts, and we can't base our relationship with Him purely on how we feel in His presence. Sometimes when you're in the presence of the Lord, do you just feel kind of stinky? Do you just feel kind of, kind of dirty and impure before Him? Friends, you know what? That's okay. You're going to feel like that sometimes if you're really drawing close to the Lord. You know, when you look at the Bible and these people have these marvelous heavenly visions of coming before the Lord and seeing Him in His glory and grace, they come before the Lord and they come into His presence and they're not saying, oh, isn't God great? Oh, it's just wonderful. And they're just skipping through the lilies in heaven with Jesus. You see people and they're, they're transported to heaven in the Bible and what are they doing? They're scared to death. They recognize their own sinfulness, their own impurity. They're saying, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. Friends, if you really know God, there are going to be times when you come into his presence and you just kind of feel rotten about yourself. But friends, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. And don't let your heart condemn you because even though you're feeling terrible, friends, God is greater than your heart. Don't let Satan drive you into the ground with that. Just say, listen, Lord, I feel pretty stinky before you. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm a great sinner. But I know that Jesus Christ is a greater Savior and that's why I'm here before you. In your presence. And friends, when we are in fellowship with God, verse 21 says, If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. Friends, how precious is this confidence that we can have in Jesus Christ? Now, there is such a thing as a false confidence, and I pray that nobody here this morning has a false confidence before God. That's a confidence in self or a confidence in illusions, but there's a glorious confidence that we can have in Jesus Christ, that we live with Him, that we walk with Him, and that our destiny is settled with Him. Going on now to verse 22, he says, And whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Well, isn't that glorious? He's saying, listen, if you have this kind of fellowship with God, if you're, you're walking in this kind of obedience, this kind of love for one another, you have an assurance in your life of answered prayer. Isn't that glorious? Isn't that one of the most glorious things that God does in our lives, that He answers our prayers? I can't figure out why. I don't know why God answers our prayers sometimes. I don't know why He's so kind and so good to us. But my friends, He's telling us that God will answer our prayers. Look at it in verse 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Now friends, if you... Keep God's commandments. And if your heart is turned towards Him to do the things that are pleasing in His sight, you know what that means? It means that your heart is in the same rhythm as God's heart. And you know what that means? It means that when you come before His throne, and when you're asking for things in prayer, whose glory are you concerned for? Your glory? No, God's glory. And that's the kind of prayer that God can answer. Do you know the purpose of prayer? I'm going to shock some of you this morning, because maybe you never thought of it, but... The purpose of prayer is not to get our will accomplished. It's not to write out the list of what we want done. 
you know, Lord, here's my little to-do list for you today, and, you know, I'll just send it up to heaven. God, now I want you to work on this today and get back to me on the things you haven't finished before the day's done. That's not what prayer's all about. Prayer is our way of seeing the will of God done. And when our heart is beating in the same rhythm as His, then we know what His will is, and we're flowing with that will, and we'll see His will done. The, The true spirit of prayer is, Thy will be done, not my will be done. And it's seeing what God desires be put into action. And so friends, the more obedient we are, the more desire we have to please Him, the more it means we're in sync with His heart. Friends, that just means wanting to please Him more and more. He goes on now in verse 23. And this is His commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. Now He who keeps His commandment abides in Him, and He in Him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. Now in verse 22, John mentioned keeping his commandment, right? And John is almost thinking of us shouting back to him, saying, well, what is his commandment? I want to keep his commandment. I want the answer to prayer. What is his commandment? You want to know what God's commandment for your life is? Believe on his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Isn't that powerful? Now, I think this is so interesting because do you see how John puts this here in verse 23? He doesn't say, these are his commandments. He says, this is his commandment. Commandment in the singular. But then he gives us two commandments. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and love one another. John, you're you're grammatically wrong here, John. Wait a minute. You're giving us two commandments, but you're calling it one commandment. Well, he may be grammatically in error, but, but spiritually he's dead on the mark. Because these two separate commandments are really one commandment, aren't they? You know, one time a a man came up to Jesus, and Jesus uh, was asked by this man, the question came, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, well, I'll tell you what the greatest commandment is. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. And and, and isn't that great? Well, great, fantastic, Lord. And that's like believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And then Jesus said, and he added another saying, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The two commandments are like one another. When you believe on the Lord and when you love one another, you're fulfilling the same commandment. There are two commandments, but they are like one another. Now, friends, I want you to notice something very carefully in verse 23. It says that this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Do you know what that means? To believe on the name of Jesus Christ? Friends, this is very important. It's not just to believe that Jesus exists. Oh, friends, you can go all across the world and say, do you believe that a man named Jesus of Nazareth lived and died on this earth. And millions upon millions upon millions of people would say, well, yes, I believe he lived. I believe he's a figure of history. It's not just believing that Jesus is. Or it isn't just believing that Jesus did certain things, such as die on a cross. Well, I believe Jesus died on a cross. Friends, that is not what it means to believe on the name of Jesus Christ. To believe on the name of Jesus means to put your belief on Jesus in the sense of trusting him, relying on him, and clinging to Jesus. 
My friends, it's not about intellectual knowledge. It's not about intellectual understanding. It's about trust. Now, can I ask you a simple question this morning? You may believe that Jesus is. You may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You may believe that Jesus died on a cross, and all of that's wonderful. But you know what that qualifies you to be? Well, James says it qualifies you to be a a demon. Because James says that the demons believe that he is, and they tremble because of it. Friends, what makes us believers in Jesus Christ is not believing that he is or believing certain facts. It's putting our trust in him. And so the simple question is, where's your trust this morning? Is your trust in a bank account? Is your trust in a career? Is your trust in a relationship? Or is your trust in Jesus Christ? Now, when we trust him and he works in our life, then we're going to love one another. And that leads to what he talks about here in verse 24, with which we'll conclude. Now, he who keeps his commandment abides in him. Well, if you're believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're loving one another, then you're going to abide in him. And you know what it means to abide. It means you're going to live in him. You're going to live and walk with Jesus every day. And friends, the one who is not keeping his commandments, the one who is not loving one another, they don't have this ground of confidence that they're abiding in Jesus. But to know that you really have this assurance takes spiritual discernment, doesn't it? It takes spiritual discernment. And that's what we're going to talk about next week, beginning with chapter 4, the spiritual discernment. And I'm not even going to talk much more about verse 24 because we'll kind of backtrack a little bit next week and get into that. My friends, I I don't know. As I come to the end of this chapter and talk about believing on Jesus and loving one another, it makes me feel very powerfully my responsibility towards God, right? What I have to do in loving Him and what I have to do in loving one another. But I want to take an important step back from that and bring us back to where we were at the very beginning in verse 16. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. Friends, do you really know what love is? I think how important it is. I think how mixed up we are about what love is when we're growing up. And I think many adults who are very mixed up about what love is. But my friends, do you know what love is by taking a look at it by what Jesus Christ did on the cross? And have you received that love? Friends, I don't want anybody here to leave this morning with the wrong impression. The impression that somehow the Christian life is all about what we do for God. And sometimes we can think that, can't we? Come on, you've you got to love one another. You've you got to keep His commandments. You've got to do this. You've got to do that for God. And friends, all those things are important in the Christian life, and we agree on that, right? That's what John's telling us. But do you know what the foundation of the Christian life is? It's not what you do for God. It's what He has done for you. And so before you venture out this week to obey the Lord more and to believe on Him more and to love one another more, you've got to step back and start by saying, Lord, do I really receive your love? Do I know that you love me? Do I live in the light of that love? Because what Jesus Christ did for you is far more important than anything you or I or anybody else will ever do for him. So let's pray this morning. God will give us understanding of what love is and and help us to receive his love. Father, I pray for everybody here this morning. 
young and old, Lord, married or single, whatever station of life that you have us in right now, I pray that you would help us to understand what real love is. Lord, so often we can just think that any strong feeling in our heart is real love, but it's not, God. It's not your agape love. Father, we can never do anything for you until you first pour into us your love. And this morning, we want to receive your love. We want to come to you just as we are, receiving, God, the love you have for us. God, I just pray for anybody here this morning who, Lord, they're really not living and and abiding in your love. Maybe, Lord, they're just playing games with you and, and they're not even really serious about their walk with you. Maybe, Lord, they just feel so unworthy and their heart is condemning them all the time. Lord, won't you show them that you are greater than their heart and your love is greater than the condemnation that they can bring up within themselves or that the condemnation that the devil can bring. Lord, strengthen us in your love that we can abide in you, that we can see answered prayer, that we can love one another. Do this in our lives, Lord. We plead before you this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen.